0: Up podcast, and I'm your host, Itamar Katch, the leadership development manager here at SimilarWeb. And my role as a business psychologist is to ensure that we develop our managers to be the best around. Get ready to hear some fascinating discussions and stories with great leaders, and in the process, pick up some practical tips and tricks to add to your managerial toolkit. Today on the podcast, we have Yael Klaas, who is the VP of Marketing here at SimilarWeb. This is an incredible opportunity for myself and all you listeners out there to hear from one of the best managers I have actually met, and also to understand a little bit about how you scale up your marketing in order to help your company to develop. So welcome, Yael.
1: Thank you so much, I'm so happy to be here.
0: Thank you for coming. (laughs) First things first, tell us a little bit about your career to date um, and how you ended up in this position as VP of Marketing here at Similweb?
1: A lot of happy accidents got me here. I think most of my career is a combination of hard work and happy accidents. So I started in New York many moons ago as a professional actor. I was doing production, educational work, community work, sort of living an artist's life. And then It started more as, like, a side hustle. I was writing, um, and I definitely, in that period of time as an artist, I put in my 10,000 hours, as Malcolm Gladwell likes to say. So that's when I put my 10,000 hours in as a writer and in, like, the production space. And I did decide at some point in my mid-20s I was not interested in pursuing acting as a career anymore for a variety of reasons. I moved to Tel Aviv. I still thought I would be in community work, sort of by accident got into marketing, got a second degree at the design school, like the universe just sort of kept going, and at some point at Wix in the high-tech space, they said, oh, we're doing a Super Bowl commercial, we need creatives, and I was like, I'm creative, and then it just opened my eyes to a whole new world and I really thrived. I felt like there's so much talent and it was so exciting and I was able to use my mind and my muscles in a different way and I just sort of kept going in content and social and cr- creative side of marketing at a few different companies until I landed here where our CEO, Or Ofair also promoted me very quickly and now I got my, uh, now I got my letters, I'm VP. Amazing. <laughs> I
0: love that story. You've gone from <laughs> actor to all the way to VP of marketing. Yeah, Amazing. I think every
1: job I've had in tech, I told myself so that I wouldn't be as scared consider it like a PhD, but they're paying you instead of you paying them. And that's what I tell myself every time, or every time I get overwhelmed you're getting a PhD, you're in the middle of working on your thesis, except they're paying you instead of you paying them. And then I just feel like more hungry to learn. And I have a better mindset to go into things that I don't know.
0: And you feel that that's kind of driven your ability to just take on all these extra kind of commitments, all these extra titles, extra letters.
1: 100%. Yeah, I feel like I don't have the embarrassment of not knowing hindering my ability to move forward I just have a hunger for learning that's driving me and I think that's been pretty critical
0: I love that and yeah. the, so that's almost your way of overcoming an issue which a lot of us face is the imposter syndrome like I'm for not sure. deserving of this
1: I think instead of like the usually you say like oh you overcome imposter syndrome because you realize you are worthy and I think in my mind I overcame imposter syndrome because I think nobody's worthy. It's all nonsense. So I'm just ignoring it entirely and focusing on what can I learn, what can I do, how can I help. And I think the most critical thing is knowing your strengths and weaknesses. So as long as I'm in a room and I'm clear about what I actually can offer and what I actually cannot offer, then I know that I myself am not being an imposter. So if you want to continue having me be the VP and I'm honest about what I'm great at, what I'm learning and what I'm not great at, then great, then we're all clear and Mm. no need for overcomplicating things.
0: Yeah, that's amazing. (laughs) And you talk about kind of your strengths and development areas. What do you think are kind of the key leadership strengths that you have that, that really set you apart?
1: I listen. I really listen. I don't see any sort of hierarchy when it comes to who to listen to and I think that that is really important as a leader I learned that from a leader of mine definitely Hmm. so I think that that often sets me apart I think that a lot of times big voices get big jobs and it's that's not necessarily the person that you know a team of people want to follow. Um, They want to be heard. So I think that sets me apart. Since I had the confidence to be authentic, my career took off. Like I really didn't have it when I started as a manager. And I think I suffered and my team members suffered because I was not able to just sit in who I was.
0: What gave you that luxury to be more authentic?
1: Partially age and parenthood. I know there's a yeah. big stigma about especially mothers in the workplace and you know there's lots of literature and research about why we're more productive or why we're more efficient and I think something that's overlooked is the the authenticity and confidence that parents can have because you're you're forced to have a different set of priorities outside of work you're forced to have an identity outside of work like you're responsible for another human being. You're constantly trying to explore how to grow another person, how to reflect yourself positively, how to leave. Like, this is all of the best-case scenarios of a parent, but someone that is invested in parenthood, which I definitely am, um, I, I've, I've learned and continue to learn a lot about myself, and it's humbled me and also given me the confidence to be more more of who I am and bring the person that I am in all aspects of my life to work because also the truth of the matter is I'm at work more than I am with my children. So that's extremely valuable time to me now and I'm not wasting one minute of it pretending that I'm somebody else. Like, this is my life. I feel very grateful that that was the transition I had. I think some parents can have the opposite and have more self-doubt, etc. And I don't think the workplace often guides parents to seeing that parenthood can be an advantage for the business, which is unfortunate. Yeah. Definitely. So, yes, yeah, so to answer your questions, I think authenticity, listening, and vision. I would say that part of that comes from my creative experience. I mean, I, I, I see the world through an artistic lens I studied artistic methodology so I see vision first I mean my brain is able to go very wide mm. and then I get to the practical So even when we're talking about non-creative execution with strategic execution, it's the creative methodology of how I look at problems that I think is very helpful and allows some balance um, to go sort of to go that big and then, get to all the can'ts and why's and this and that. especially in, in the startup world, it's helpful.
0: You're well known for being incredible at giving feedback, and I'm sure that's also one of the things that has allowed you to build such a successful division. Can you talk to us a little bit about your methodology, how you give feedback, how you make it land? I'm sure everyone would want to know.
1: First of all, I don't consider feedback like ticking off a box. I think it's one of the most important things I do in any given day, week, month, quarter. And I spend time. So I know each of my team members, what motivates them, why they're there, and what they want next. And if I don't know those things, my feedback probably can't land as well, and I'm aware of that. So I need to uncover those things, or I need my directors or team managers to bring me that information so that I'm really clear there first of all and not guessing uh, not thinking that everyone is equal or everyone wants just their next st- step up in their job or everyone just wants additional compensation not necessarily so I think that brings back to listening right I listen to who my staff really are and what they what matters to them and I believe very strongly in radical candor and radical transparency So, and I do mean radical, 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 radical. So I think one thing I got wrong earlier in my career was I thought that being a good leader was being nice and that by giving feedback in a more gentle way, it was helpful and I was being a better manager and that isn't true at all. So I focus on being kind and I focus on having grace in my communication, but I'm exceptionally clear. That's where radical candor comes in, exceptionally clear. If I'm giving you feedback and you don't know what to do, I was not successful. If I'm giving you feedback and you don't know how I consider you as an employee, your performance, how secure you are in your job, that's a failure on me. So if I'm focused so much on being nice, you won't grow, you have a higher risk of underperforming and potentially losing your job is the worst case, right? Because I didn't tell you. Um, so that's not nice in the end. Yeah. That's not nice. Um, so I focus on giving extremely clear feedback in a way that addresses your why. Why are you here? Why am I telling you? What are you supposed to do?
0: and especially in the time that we're living in now where you know, we, not every company can have a merit process because of the current climate, understanding people's in, inner motivators and what really drives them, that allows you to give really clear, clear feedback. Because if they you know, are passionate about development, then it's like, okay, we might not be able to give you this increase in salary, but I'm gonna give you this opportunity that you won't be able to get anywhere else. And that's really what actually motivates people. So love that. And another point that I want to raise is the likelihood of a leader falling in the top quartile for leadership effectiveness and the bottom quartile for likability is something around 0.05%. Meaning often leaders think I don't need to be no don't need to be liked in order to be a good leader. But actually the research is saying quite the opposite. But it highlights that it's not, as you said, it's not just being nice just across the board it's it's being honest and actually truly caring about their careers their development and things like that that's truly being nice and in the long run that's what people want they want that kind of kindness they don't want the kind of everything's going great everything's going great and then
1: surprise surprise
0: exactly yeah um which
1: yeah i think it's it's unsafe yeah right like part of feedback good feedback, critical feedback, allows for psychological safety in the workplace. And if I know that I am very clear on what success looks like, what my manager thinks of my work, what my collaborators think of my work, where I'm underperforming, how much time I have to improve, right, which is another one that can be really confusing, like, okay, I'm underperforming here would you think it's reasonable that I make a plan to get better in six months, in one month? Like, what does that actually look like? Having that framework makes me feel safe. I know exactly what to do. I know exactly what people think of me. I know that it's reflective of who I am, that I can agree with it or argue it fairly, right? And so considering feedback as a part of psychological safety and considering psychological safety as a key area to focus on when Ensuring you have productivity and efficiency and effectiveness of your team, just reverse engineer it and get really good at giving feedback.
0: Honestly, my mind is blown. There's so many, so <laughs> many points that are just so incredible over there. And yeah, like psychological safety is just at the core, I think, of everything at work. If someone doesn't feel safe enough to raise an opinion, disagree, you know, yeah. truly ask for proper feedback, things like that. There's no way for development, there's no way for growth. And it's just so interesting that you've kind of linked that all into the feedback process, you've linked that all into understanding individual motivators, so many amazing points there. Can you share any lessons that you've learned throughout your career that you believe other managers would really benefit from?
1: No task is too small to do with your team. No task. I was thinking about all of these sort of like philosophical and fluffy and, but the truth is my team knows that if they need help, I am not above helping anyone, right? And it's not because I'm going to get something out of it, like I need to dig into the details because I need to learn something for strategy. No, there's something going on on Twitter and the social media manager needs me to give extra hands on Twitter, I am the same as everyone else in the team, and I'm putting my hands on Twitter with them. I think that for many reasons. One is you should try to know the job of your staff as much as possible at all times, so you should get in there and do stuff for sure. I learn new things every time I reattempt to do someone's job with them. And I think that hierarchy is important and it's also dangerous. The danger is people feeling better than or more or less important or human, right? Like the work that I do probably has larger impact, right? The decisions that I make affect more people and can affect the business greater than some of my individual contributors. That's why I have my job because I know how to do that part. We all are still working hard, right? There's no difference there. So I think pitching in is really really important and to and to get the trust of your staff, right? I had a leader who was a VP and a genius she really was a genius and she's the first woman that brought me into tech at Wix and i learned the most from her and she would stay with me into the evening just giving extra hands to our team i was a, i was like i'm telling you i was like managing google plus if anyone remembers google plus i was like writing blogs i'm not even sure anyone was reading them like my job was not that important And she was giving us a hand. And so when she would ask me the next week, I need you to work on this project and stay until midnight and da-da-da-da-da, sure, you got it, no problem, I'm with you. You're with me, I'm with you.
0: Yeah, there's definitely that kind of reciprocation that's just human beings, like, it's innate within us. If someone does something for us, we're gonna wanna do it for them, exactly. One of the best managers I ever had, they said to me, basically word for word, you've got this, I completely trust you, but I'm here for you whenever you need. And they meant it. So I would call them at 8pm and they would get on the call and they would support me throughout anything, but they allowed me to completely have that like, complete autonomy, but they were there as that safety net. So if anything went wrong, I always knew that they were 100% there, which made me feel incredible as an IC, but then also allowed me to develop so much on that kind of project for my, myself just because I had autonomy. I had that ability to, to learn on the job.
1: Did you ever feel like in that relationship there was a higher chance that you would mess up? That's what I worry about sometimes.
0: Yes, there was, there was a clear realization that I could mess this up, but I also went above and beyond that much more because I didn't want to mess up because it was my name on the at the end on that presentation that was being presented to the CEO. It was my name, it was my brand, so I put in that much more effort. So I minimised the chance of messing up. But then I also used this manager constantly whenever I was unsure, whether I was like, is this going to be something that makes me unstuck towards the end? Mm. I would quickly get on the call and be like, can you quickly support on this? And they were always there. And it wasn't, it was definitely like actions. It was like they they, they said it, they meant it. So yeah, it's it's higher risk, but also higher reward. And one of the key motivating factors is purpose, mastery and autonomy and autonomy is something that we really need in order to to thrive at work the more we're trusted obviously as you say there's there is that balance so if someone's brand new into a role just saying get on with it that's obviously very dangerous so they've got to have the right skills yeah but allowing them to just explore and take ownership is a hugely motivational element that I don't think enough people utilize
1: how do you build in I get to ask you questions <laughs> So purpose, mastery and autonomy. Mm. So where does a sense of team come into that?
0: So I would say that the team it's it's also hugely motivational. I would say that's my number four, as in mm. the sense of belonging. It is but when I, when I when I think of motivation in the individual work, I think of purpose. So I think do I understand why this work is important? Do I d- identify with the meaning? Like you said at the beginning, like giving everyone a why, that's yeah. the purpose. The mastery is, am I developing skills? That's hugely motivational and I always say this, but when I was at Deloitte in the UK, the analysts at so the bottom level, we had the opportunity to apply to be the chief of staff for the CEO. We'd be earning 0.01% of the CEO's salary and yet every single analyst applied to be the chief of staff because they knew that in that year they'd be working 20 hour days, flying around the globe, doing crazy long long weekends, but the development opportunity was huge. You yeah. get to speak to kind of world leaders, etc. So everyone applied because that's the development aspect. And I realized that, that then I was like, wow, this is hugely motivational, and I need to utilize this more whenever I'm working with my team. Like this development aspect, and I make sure to highlight in every project, it's this is the skills that you're gonna gain, and I always tie it back to their why. So I said, I know that you're passionate about becoming a manager, a director, whatever it is. If you do X, Y, and Z, these are key skills that mm-hmm. a director needs.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And that's how I tie it into that. And then when it comes to autonomy, it's, I just took it from that manager. I said, yeah. "Look, I'm here for you. Anything you need, let me know." But I also want to see where you take this, and like this is this is for you to own and really kind of smash out the park. And then I make sure that's on the individual level, but on the team level, as you're saying, hugely motivational. It's you know you come to work together with people. I need to make sure that that team camaraderie is all there for sure. But those are kind of the more the individual, and then I see it as a team.
1: Mm-hmm. What do you think is the quality that um, sort of takes a, from a manager from good to great?
0: It depends where they're at in the managerial pipeline. If they're going from first line manager to director, I think the key thing to develop is the ability to build strong managers. Like, right, if you're a director, you need to build strong managers, so you need to know the fundamentals of management. But when you're going from, let's say, director to VP, it would probably be being more strategic. Right, because that's what you're going to need at the higher level. So I think it kind of depends where they're at in their managerial career.
1: I see a common problem with first-time managers, usually first-time managers or team leaders or directors that think that the skill that they had to make them so successful in their role to become a manager is the same skill as that will make them successful as a manager, which is untrue. And I think if the manager above them doesn't have the the tools and skills to train them out of that misconception, yeah. then that's your whole path up, they right? Shall. And that's that person's whole career, and then the whole thing is like, you know, the spine is not aligned. Kind of need a chiropractor to get in, like hmm. crack that thing and get it back on track. Yes. So I also think that that's part of the role as a senior leader like myself is to be able to see all the way down to make sure that whole thing is lined up yeah and to be able to really healthfully and clearly pass information all the way down Mm. basically
0: yeah and that's kind of where I think of the director's role of training first line managers that's it it's like you cannot be a micromanager. And that's where it comes out because it's like, I was good at this job. Right. So I'm going to tell you everything about it. And that's like, what
1: I did. And I oh. it was terrible. I was so terrible. I was annoying. <laughs> I mean, I'm sorry. I'm sorry to anyone I managed at the beginning. I made all the mistakes somebody could make. I lacked confidence. I swung the pendulum back and forth all the time from like, thinking that people were taking advantage of me and not doing their job at all to wanting to do their jobs for them so that I was being nice and not making anyone work on the weekend every mistake somebody could make I made it
0: how did you learn from from that was there someone giving you really candid feedback or was this just a learning curve that you realized this isn't working I need to I need to change
1: first of all okay to move on so I moved on Let's start with that. Like, we don't need to sugarcoat it. I was not doing my best. I moved on. Um, and I was extremely clear about what mistakes I had made and why. And they were my mistakes, right? Like, they, at the beginning, I was blaming this person is, you know, taking advantage of me and this person's not behaving and this all may be true. And still, so I did a lot of learning, growing, listening, reading, goal setting and try it again
0: yeah i mean it sounds an incredibly (laughs) healthy kind of approach to all of that because a lot of people beat themselves up for a very long time but it seems like you took it in a very positive it's like okay what can i learn from those situations to make sure it will never as you say it's it's not going to
1: happen again listen to be fair hindsight's 2020 for sure okay (laughs) so in the at the time i felt ashamed i felt anxious I felt unworthy, I had imposter syndrome, my identity was very much starting to be wrapped up in my job, and so thinking that I was not doing a good job at my job was extremely confusing. So it's a little unfair because I'm in a job I love, I manage a very large team at a very successful company, so I'm able to look back at that experience a little more fondly, because everything's fine. But it felt really painful, and it hurt my confidence for a long time.
0: What helped you rebuild that confidence? Was it a manager at a new job? Was it just the new job itself? It was it just a new environment, time to try something new? What helped you regain that kind of confidence?
1: I started to have a set, a set of experiences where I felt like I brought real value to my colleagues and to the business. So that was really helpful. like i i I really felt that I was bringing my best self and my contributions were making a significant impact. So that helped a lot. Honestly, like I said before parenthood, I think I became a mother and just said, "I'm awesome. I'm making a whole new life that's so much grander than the life that I grew grew up more modestly and I never would have dreamed that this would be my life. Everything everything else is like a bonus. Just go to work, do a good job, harness your skills, learn, 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 grow, 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 see where it takes you, stay hungry. So I'm going full speed ahead and then luck tends to come, right? And I'm ready because I'm going. Yeah. Yeah, so I just sort of, I think that, like, click with parenthood was, like...
0: It's, it's almost like it unleashed. It's like,
1: yeah, it was like, so I was bad at that. Okay, moving on. People are bad at things. My kid couldn't walk, now they can. They can't talk, now they do. Same with me. Yeah. I couldn't do that thing, now I will. I'm a human. I'm evolving. Like, it's okay to have not known something and then know something. That's how it works. And what I said at the beginning, which is, I spend a lot, like, I love, I do love my job, but I would not spend 50, 60 hours a week on anything that didn't make me feel like I was growing and evolving and had something to contribute.
0: A lot of leaders that I talk to nowadays, they're constantly lamenting the Gen Z millennials, like, you know, they just, they don't work as hard, they don't this. And from my perspective we're looking at it all wrong they've got a different priority as long as i'm developing and growing and that's kind of the buzzword for for the way i see it anyway for millennials and gen z it's like what can i get out of work and what i tell managers is constantly if you're helping them to see the development that they're getting at work that's how you get the most out of this kind of generation that everyone you know is saying oh they don't work as hard None of the statistics are showing that, by the way. No data is, is proving right. that at all. They That's work right. just as hard. And by the way, this is a classic thing that every generation says the generation below <laughs> them is less hardworking, et cetera. Again, never evidence at I all. I climbed
1: up the hill both ways. It's like, yeah. yeah. Exactly.
0: But it's like, no, you just need to find what really motivates them. And it previously, it might have been stability. It's like, hey, you're going to have a job here for 25 years. Great. I'm sorted. I'll work as hard as ever. That's not the case anymore because stability is just... Not a thing. So it's like, okay, so what is it? It's I'm gonna look out for my own career. How can I develop? Am I developing? And it's like, okay, as a manager, am I showing this to my people? That's, that's like the key that I think mm. for managers nowadays when they learn that skill, they'll find that millennials, Gen Z, will always stay. Like They'll stay for the development. That's, that's just the way I, I kind of view that situation.
1: I think actually that also speaks to the importance of hiring. Yeah. I mean, it cannot be overstated, the importance of hiring, the skill as a leader of knowing how to hire, how to read people. If you're not good at reading people, which some people are not, you better find somebody that is and include them in your hiring process because the notion that you're hiring, especially younger people, you're actually hiring them based on what motivates them. You're hiring their skills and what motivates them. And your goal is finding someone where what motivates them aligns with what you need done. Right? That's the ticket. So basically, if you find someone that has the core skills, is motivated by the thing that you need done, essentially, and has a high level of trust, that you you believe that they can have a high level of trust, you're good to go. If one of those is off, you're done. It doesn't matter if you're the most skilled person on the planet. I found someone that's been doing something for 20 years and they, you know, want this individual contributor position with me. Are they exceptionally trustworthy? Are they motivated by things that you can provide? If not, so I don't care how skilled you are.
0: How do you assess motivation? Like, they're motivators. How do you, how do you kind of get that in an interview?
1: I think examples are helpful. Right. I think we need to pull from examples, and they can be in the workplace or not in the workplace, but examples of what is work that you initiated on your own? What is a project you initiated on your own? Why did you do it? What did success look like for that project? What were some of the obstacles? Did you overcome them? Did you not? It's something as little as when someone is talking about a project that they did in their previous job. You can tell pretty quickly if that's a project where they say, I did this and that, and, you know, they're still going to ru-. Like, you're so invested that when you, even when you leave the company, you want that project to be successful. That's a person I want. And I'll be able to tell not what their example is, but how they talk about the process of creating that project, that example, tells me a lot. Am I saying I or am I saying we? Right? Oh, it was a we? Oh good, so you enjoy collaboration. Great, me too. Mm -hmm. That's a prerequisite for being on my team.
0: I love that. There's like a lot of interesting kind of research talking about the types of questions and and exactly what you're saying. It's looking back, give examples, but there's a lot of interesting stuff coming out now about actually asking hypothetical questions because people who are very good at interviews yeah, sometimes concise. Plan I feel like, by the way, yeah, I'm that person. Me too. I was in, I was it's in consulting true. for a very long time. I'm, <laughs> it's a, true. I'm able to BS my way through most interviews. Yeah, it's true. But what I found is actually, if I paint a hypothetical question, this is the classic one that I always say to: if I'm hiring a manager, it's the CEO needs something by the end of the day. Someone's been working on it, but they're unable to work on it today. They've got something going on at home. What do you do in that situation? At that point, they basically gotta enter my world. It's like this is a situation that happens. That's a great to question. Me, and it's and there's no right answer. It's just let me see the way you think. And from that, exactly what you're saying, I can understand what are their motivators. Is it do they put their people first and then they're willing to put in the long hours? Is it that actually they're willing to push back? So the hypothetical questions where they have to enter into my world, that's often questions where you can really see motivators. At least that's what I've kind of found more recently. Okay. Let's go for a little bit of a quick fire round. What is the best managerial or leadership advice you've ever received?
1: Being honest is being kind.
0: What is one misconception about your division that you wish you could get rid of?
1: Creativity is a bonus, right? Like, or creativity is the fluff. No. Marketing? Marketing is an art and a science. You need both. My division brings the art. There's no one without the other. Marketing is the combination of an art and a science. So the art, the art, whether, why, while it's harder to measure, is equally as important as the science side of marketing.
0: Couldn't agree more. <laughs> <Literally> amazing. <laughs> what is one thing your industry gets wrong?
1: Copycats, just loads of copycats. Just, ex- I'm just exhausted with the copycats. Our industry is obsessed with... Being like or better than a version of competitors instead of innovating, I think. We don't, I think most people don't get the, most companies don't have the confidence to innovate until they're already corporate, and then it's a little bit difficult. Um, So innovate when you're younger as a business. That's one thing I think we get wrong. And two, just because you can't track it doesn't mean it doesn't matter. Just just because you can't track it doesn't mean the impact isn't coming. That's for sure.
0: And what is one skill you're currently looking to develop?
1: I have many. I'm always looking to develop. Currently, I am listening to... A, basically, I've decided it's my podcast that I'm listening to a daily call with a customer because I'm trying to better understand from like an empathetic perspective and dig a little deeper into... Customers' experience or prospects' experience. So I'm trying to get a better handle on the customer voice. I think that I lost it for a little while, or it got a little too generic. And our product is extremely complex. So yeah, I'm trying to I'm trying to improve there for sure. I have a long road ahead. More I have context. a lot to learn. Yeah, I have a lot to learn there. Okay,
0: and what is one piece of advice? You wish someone told you earlier.
1: Your mistakes don't define you. Hmm. Just, just be better. Just get back up, and try to be better the next day. That's it.
0: I feel like that's an incredible point to, <laughs> to, to end the uh, end the podcast on. Thank you so much for joining. Genuinely, You're this welcome. has been such an informative conversation, <laughs> and I've loved oh, I've loved it. I'm sure all our listeners will definitely learn so much from you as well and and definitely hope to have you again on the podcast shortly
1: my pleasure thank you